Luke chapter 10. We are almost to the end of Luke chapter 10. We started in the book of Luke back, I don't know, it might have been before Christmas. And we're not worried about how long it takes. Luke is a long writer. He packs a lot in every single chapter. And we want to look at, at all of Jesus' life and ministry that he's recorded. So we're just taking our time on this journey through the gospel of Luke. And uh, I love, personally, I don't know about you, I love it because I love any time where we get to just sit and, and look at how Jesus lived, how he treated people, what he taught, and it's refreshing. As Larry was talking about, a lot in the world drags us down, it saps our energy, it, it, it brings our spirits down. So time with Jesus is not just good, it's necessary, isn't it? To recharge our spirits, to build back our hearts, and to help us to see, okay, if we live in a world that's fallen, and we do, how do we, how do we live like that? And Jesus is the first that we look to. Uh, Larry also mentioned Wednesday night in our men's class, we're studying the book of Daniel. And that's, that whole study is how do you live in Babylon, a very worldly place, but maintaining your faith and spreading the faith and, and remaining strong to your convictions and yet being in the world but not of the world. How do you do that? And so we, that's why we keep coming back to the Gospels too. Because Jesus shows us how to do that. And, of course, Jesus, even more than Daniel, does it with perfection. Here, uh, what we're going to look at today, this is kind of funny. My father-in-law is uh, one of the guys. He and Dan are, are taking care of the small group on Sunday nights while I'm doing the grief share uh, this quarter. So Emmett, last week, forgot that I wasn't going to be teaching last week because Kent Job was here. And that was really good, and I promise I'm going to get that on the podcast this week. I'm behind. Uh, but uh, that was a really good lesson. And so before Kent preached, Emmett was asking me, he said, now I was looking over Luke chapter 10 so that I could get ready for the small group, because in our small group, we kind of look at it. We look at the same text, but from a little bit different angle, uh, things that, you know, just not time Sunday morning to look at, too, because everything has a lot to it. And so he was already looking at that and getting ready for that. He said, but I was looking and I thought, well, there's no way that he's only going to read these four verses and just do that. So I wonder what else he's going to do. So Sunday morning, I was in there getting my breakfast ready and he came in. And that's what he told me. He said, I was thinking, surely you're going to do more than that. And I said, well, actually, this morning, I'm not even doing that much. Somebody else is preaching and I'm not doing a thing. And he's like, oh, man. So he, he had to actually listen during the sermon this week. He couldn't study ahead or last week. He had to, couldn't study ahead. And, <laughs> and uh, he's not here. That's not really fair. But I'll, I'll play it for him at breakfast some morning. Yeah, uh, so anyway, this week, that is what we're doing. I told him, I said, no, really, those four verses, that's all I'm doing. So Dan's been working really hard. And I told him last night at supper, I said, Dan, if I don't cover, what you're, cover it the way that you're going to talk about it, sometime in the sermon, just stand up and yell, hey, that's not what I prepared for tonight. Go back and do this. So if Dan just suddenly jumps up, it's my fault. It's not his. So, and, I and Dan, I checked your battery, so I know you can hear it. We're all good, right? I did check that this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And I'm sure glad these glasses are on my head because I was looking down thinking, I'll never know what that says. Uh, let's see here. I wanna, before I get it, I wanted to read it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. First, I want this. He was a YMCA chaplain in World War I, and he wrote a book called My Utmost for His Highest. Some of you may have that book. On your shelves. You got that book? Really encouraging uh, devotional kind of a book. And you know, short devotional for each day. Probably one of the best-selling uh, devotional books 
like of all time. He wrote it in 1924, and I don't know how many times they've reprinted that and reprinted that. And now if you go online, you can get it for free because it's, it's so old that now it's just it's a giveaway. Uh, but this is what he said. He said, The greatest enemy of, life, of, in, of the life of faith in God is not sin, but good choices which are not quite good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. We're going to look this morning at choices. That's the title. You kind of knew that already, right? Uh, between good, better, and best. When I was in AIM, Michael, you remember Rex talking about this, I bet. Rex Boyles was the director of AIM back then. He used to talk all the time about choosing between good, better, and best. He said too often, we just like what he's saying, we settle for the good. And we could have had much better, and we maybe even could have had the best. Now, that's talking about it from a spiritual point of view. That what we often do in our life is we make a lot of, we, all of us are making choices every day, and often we choose just what's good. What Oswald Chambers is getting at is that often we will choose a good over God. We will choose something that is fine in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing. But we will choose it over what God would have us to do. And in that case, we're not getting better. And we're not getting best. We're settling for good. And good actually becomes an enemy of the best at that moment of what God would want us to have. There are lots of ways that we can do that, but we're going to look at, at how this happened one day when Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house because Jesus teaches her all about good, better, and best. And uh, I have a, you probably think if you've heard uh, sermons on Mary and Martha that you know exactly where I'm going, and for one point you do, but I'm going to go somewhere you probably don't expect me to go this morning. And that's all the hint that I'm going to give you. There you go. Verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Am I the only one that hears the Brady Bunch? I hear it every... They have ruined this passage for me. Because all I hear is, Martha, Martha, Martha. Which isn't even, you know, supposed to be Marsha, right? Anyway, uh, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which should not be taken away from her. Okay. So when we look at this, we kind of look at this in a couple of different ways. And uh, we'll go through those. And then I'll show you what I think is not really a twist, but what's really actually meant from this text, besides what we normally usually talk about. One is this, and this is what Chambers is getting at, that good is often the, Satan's secret weapon. That he gets us to choose things that are okay because he doesn't have to do a moral fight with us. He doesn't have to make us feel like we're choosing between God and whatever it is that we're about to do. So he gets us with good things, good distractions, good fillers up of the time that we have on this planet. And uh, we're, we're great at that. We have hobbies, we have uh, commitments, we have just tasks and chores and everything else. And people come to us with good things. Hey, can you help me with? And all of that kind of stuff. And it's not necessarily bad. Most of it is not wrong at all. Okay, it may be mowing a lawn. It may be cooking a dinner. It may be all kinds of things. It, it might even be... It might even be a sport. It might be something like that. 
Some, not too long ago, I heard somebody ask somebody what, what they had been doing all day. And they said, oh, I've been working all day. And they, they said, oh, well, what have you been doing? And they said, well, I was watching the game. Watching the game. They had watched TV for six hours and they called it work, you know. Okay. Good, maybe. I don't know. I know who they were watching, so I think not good, but good. UT, you know, please. So, there's, there's grace. We love you with the love of the Lord. And we have a row for you right down front. There's always somebody that we've got to call to repentance every Sunday, right? This week it's the UT fans. Anyway, that's okay. It'll get better. At some point we'll get to people who like places like Nebraska or the Steelers. And if you say that you're a Steelers fan, we don't even call you to the front. We rebaptize you on the spot. <laughs> that's a fact. Am I right? Okay. I really, I really wish Mrs. St. Alma was here today because she's a Cowboys fan and I bet she knows what I'm talking about because there was a game in the 70s that I'm still not over, okay? Mm-hmm. If the Lord ever sent me to Philadelphia, my goodness, I'd sing just as I am to the Lord, I think. I don't know. I wouldn't. That sounds, that sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Anyway, I know that he loves the Steeler fans too. He just, extra time in purgatory, which we don't even believe in, so I don't know if you get out. So I don't know how that works. Do you get stuck there if you don't believe in it? Let's go back. Good. Good. Okay. So Satan knows that there are things that he can get us distracted with, obviously, that are good, but don't require much fight on his part or ours. And he just fills up our time. I'm not going to give you too comprehensive of a list. I could hit every toe in this room, including very much my own with this one. We spend a lot of time on things that don't matter in the big picture. Now, they may matter to us. We may even find them heartbreaking when they don't go our way. But the truth is that in light of eternity, most of them are not, they're not going to amount to even much kindling when everything that doesn't matter burns at the judgment day. They're not going to be judged for it unless it became between us and God. But they're distractions. and He knows that He can get us with that. And so... We have in this story Martha who is getting involved in just that thing. She falls for this, right? She falls for the exact same kind of distraction that we do. She thought that making the meal, doing the dishes and cooking was that important. Now, this is our traditional take on this text, right? That this is, this is her problem, that she is worried about, how come Mary isn't helping me? And some of you are like that, okay? You know who you are, Martha's in the room. And, and you're not all women either, okay? Guys can have the same problem. Uh, you may not be in the kitchen, and I would tell, although you may be, let me just say, one of the issues we're going to get to in this story is some of the same stereotyping that we do now, that a woman's place is in the kitchen. You didn't hear that from me. Because first off, I'm going to tell you that any man who can't make his own sandwich is lazy, okay? That's what, women, you're allowed to say amen, okay? We'll get, which we'll get to that at the end of the lesson. But I really do believe that as, as Texas men, we try to think that we are very independent and strong, right? That's kind of our stereotype, that John Wayne picture. Let me tell you something. If you are independent and strong, and again, but you don't have a clue how to make your own dinner, that's dependent. That's the definition of dependent. You are not independent. You see what I mean? So there's that, but that's not even in the text. So let's just move on from that. Martha gets upset about that because that's kind of her expectation that Mary ought to be helping. Why is she listening to Jesus? That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be over here cooking. And she actually starts. Can you see that down that lower picture? 
don't you know that that bread was well needed that day? Because she's going, Mary and Mary, and she's getting into that dough. And some of you know what that's like at your family reunions, and you're in the kitchen, and that guy is in there watching UT. You know, it used to be that you got to have that University of Texas and A&M game, and don't you miss that at Thanksgiving? Now they just have other teams, and who cares? Who really cares? So that was at least fun to watch. But now... Might as well need bread. And so she's in there just going at it and getting madder and madder. And finally she says, Jesus! Don't you know that's how she said it? And she doesn't even know him that well. You know, we think about Mary and Martha being really close friends of Jesus because they became that. But this is like the first day in the house. This is the first time he's there. And she's going, Jesus! Get her to get in here and help me! She's supposed to be in here cooking with me, not in there listening to you. Get her over here! And what does Jesus say? Martha, 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 don't you know there are more important things than that dough that you're beaten to death? Mary made a good choice. I'm not taking that from her. He says what she has chosen. Some of your translations won't just say a good choice. They, will, they say Mary has chosen that which was better, better. We, uh, mm, we live in a time where people don't really want to think about uh, the better. We just kind of try and get through. We are busy. And so we just pick and pick and pick. And we, if, if we can get to good, we feel like that's a big accomplishment and that's good enough, right? He says, Martha, what, you, what you're choosing isn't the best. And we can fall into another trap. We can read this text and make it mean something that I don't believe it was meant to mean, but that I understand why we go there. Mary is listening to Jesus. She's building a relationship with Jesus. She's growing her relationship with God while she listens to what he has to say. And so we can put, uh, position this text to mean that what we should do is spend more time in our daily walk with God. Now, I think there's truth to that, okay? So I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that translation or interpretation, but that's not exactly what's going on here. But just for the sake of argument, we'll say for a second that it is. We can fall into the equal and opposite trap. Ecclesiastes 7.18 in the NIV, the man of God avoids all extremes. Right before that it says, it is possible to hold on to the one getting the dishes done and cooking and not let go of the other, being contemplative and learning and, and growing in our relationship with God, which is what Mary is doing. Okay? So that's possible. Uh, Solomon even says it's preferable. We would say in this line of reasoning, it is not just good, it is better, right? So better is that I will not just be one who serves and pretend that the word and the prayer and the relationship with God doesn't matter, but better will also say that it's, it's not just about the service, but it's also about growing in prayer and growing in that relationship with God. Both of them. I need both of them. And so we try to strive for something else. We try to get to balance, right? And balance would be better. If all I am is a servant, but I have no relationship with God, my service is great, but guess what? It counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. And you say, James, that sounds kind of rough. You trying to make me feel guilty? No, I'm actually quoting Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel 33, where in both places it talks about how if we are supposed to be righteous People, that means right with God, okay? We do that by grace, that's not earned. But if we are righteous people, 
then God looks at the things that we do in our life and He rewards those for us. We don't talk about that much anymore because we think grace is communism. No matter how much good you've done, we all get the same reward. You know, Jesus didn't actually teach that. You know that? I'm going to challenge you. Go home and look it up. He says there will be greater reward for some and lesser reward for others. Well, imagine that. You all just think about that for a while and then go look it up. It's in there like prego. But this is the thing. In Ezekiel, chapter 3 and in 33, when he's talking to Ezekiel and telling him what message he needs to give to the people, he says, but if you do not listen when I send my prophet to you, if you do not obey the word of God when I send my prophet to you, even the good things that you have done will be forgotten. They will be forgotten. So, good deeds are great, but outside of a relationship with God, because we're not saved by those good deeds, they don't actually fix anything. They're good, but they're not better, and they're not best. So we try to balance those two things. And I've got up here a couple of passages. We'll look at those in a second. Before we get to that, with this graphic that's here, we hear a lot of people, after school shootings and things like that, say that they are really tired of hearing about thoughts and prayers. It's become a popular thing for politicians of a certain bent to say, I don't want to hear your thoughts and prayers. To which I always want to respond, that's fine, I wasn't talking to you. You know what I'm saying? That's one thing. The other thing I want to say to them, and I mean this with respect, is if you, I, I agree that there's more that ought to be done. We probably disagree on what needs to be done, but something needs to be done, but not just something. Okay, I'm not just a, just do, go do anything, just go write sloppy law. There's something called the law of unintended consequences, which bites us in the rear end all the time. And so just doing something is almost like a dog whistle for the law of unintended consequences. Just calls it right up to you. You mess things up when you act foolhardy and quickly. Okay, just going too fast generally makes a mess. Okay, but what I want to say respectfully to those people who would say that is this. If you want to go out and do something and you want it to be wise, the first place you need to start with your actions is in asking God for wisdom to make those the right actions. You see what I mean? If we're going to start doing the right thing, if we're going to do something that actually helps and heals, that's going to start with admitting that not only is the problem but also the solution bigger than us and outside our wisdom. I think that's quite clear, isn't it? That it's clearly outside earthly wisdom or we'd already have it fixed, wouldn't we? Yeah. So what do we need? We need wisdom and guidance from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit. I do believe that ultimately most of those things are spiritual problems, not material problems. And, and simply hiding things for people to use is not going to be the answer. You've got to deal with the heart, the mind, and the soul. And that starts with going to God. Thoughts and prayers. It should be that we understand the power of those things. And that's where action, right action, really begins. So we should, bat, we should seek some sort of balance between... It's not good, it isn't good enough just to pray. Because even the Lord went to Joshua and said, What are you still here praying for? You were supposed to get up and start moving already. Did you know that? He went to Joshua and said, that's enough time of prayer. Let's go. And there comes that time. There is a balance between those two things. All prayer and no action is not what God ever called for either, is it? The second time that Israel had to cross the, water, across the land between two walls of water was when they crossed the Jordan, not the Red Sea. And do you know what God made them do that time? He did not part the water until their feet touched the banks. 
Why? Because it was time to stop praying and start moving by faith. So there, is, there should be some sort of a, a balance there. And that is a lot better. That would be better if Martha learned... And this is kind of the way it's generally taught. If Martha would learn, it's okay every now and then to stop cooking and pray, to stop cooking and listen, and to go to, to Jesus and hear what He has to say. That's a good lesson for us to learn because a lot of us get so busy, we do not take care of that need. So we are often in Martha's place. We're too busy to read, too busy to pray, too busy to go to church, too busy to, to, to learn more about God. And so we're guilty of being Martha. But we also can do that so much that we've not even had time to act on what we learned. That's problem too, isn't it? So you understand what we're saying. So Philippians 4, 5 to 7, you've probably already read it. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So here's Scripture. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, yeah, you should spend time praying. You should spend time listening. You should spend time watching and listening for God's answer to your prayer. And that's how you really find peace. So this part of your life is incredibly important. But you also have Galatians. Also, Paul, also inspired by the Holy Spirit, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not let use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Don't just sit and pray. Get up and love people and serve people. Find a way to be Jesus to people in the flesh, face to face. Now, there's a warning here that is really important too, right before that, where he says, you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, this goes back to the first one. Don't make so many choices for even when it's Good things, distractions, opportunities for the flesh. Don't let your love of money, maybe even not the love of money, but just the need for money, make you work so much you have no room to serve anymore the Lord your God or your neighbor whom you should love. Don't let that get in your way. Don't get so distracted with your hobbies, your skills, and your passions that those become your idol and replace God in the service of of your days, weeks, years, and a lifetime. Because those things are going to burn up when He comes. You know, and, and what's going to be left? You're going to sit there and go, wow, I gave 4 million moments to golf and apparently only 25 to helping my neighbor across the street. And that's going to matter, isn't it? It is going to matter. It's also going to matter to your neighbor across the street who could look at us and say, Man, I didn't even know that that was your thing. I didn't know you were into the Lord. I didn't know you were a Christian. I, I heard you talk about everything else, but I never heard. So there's that. He says, instead, through love, serve one another. So that balance of those two things, growing in your own faith and serving other people, is a part of the picture. And that's kind of how Mary and Martha is always portrayed that that's what's going on. I don't doubt for a second that that's actually something we're supposed to get out of that. Maybe not from that text, but certainly from Scripture Overall, I think we are supposed to strive for some kind of a balance there. And that's not always easy. I don't think the Lord is going to sit here and measure us at the fulcrum and say, Ah, oh, man, you were one degree too much to the one or to the... You were too much a servant, not much enough a listener. Too much a listener, not enough a servant. I don't 
think that's going to be it. I do think that we, we need to make sure both those things are present in our lives if we're ever going to be any kind of a reflection of Jesus who carried them constantly in perfect balance. And we see throughout the Gospels his dedication to personal time with the Lord and his dedication to serve other people. And so it was always with Jesus, both and, not either or. Let me go on from here. That number four up there. So, if that's better, and it is better, a balanced life is far better. One that reflects both those things is always going to be better. You are going to feel better if you try to strike that balance. That's not me talking. Look back at Philippians 4, 5 to 7. And the peace of God, look at that, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you had weeks where peace of God would be an awfully nice thing, right? So what's best? Well, is it the balance? I I, I don't think so. I think that's important, but I don't think that's actually the most important thing. Martha was upset for a reason. And I don't think Martha was upset because she was was, uh, thinking, Mary ought to have more balance. She ought to get over here and hold a dish. Get her side of the seesaw back in the right place. I don't think that's it. I think there's something else that's really bothering Martha. It's not the way I looked at this in the past, but it's the way we're going to look at this today. This is from N.T. Wright. He wrote a book called Luke for Everyone, a commentary. And this is something that he brings out. He's not at all the only one, uh, but a lot of uh, scholars have brought this out. Let's read this. The real problem between Martha and Mary wasn't the workload that Martha had in the kitchen. That, no doubt, was real enough. But it wasn't the main thing that was upsetting Martha. No, the real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. Not in the sense of personal identity. Don't get all your 2020 kind of ideas in your head. Uh, But that she's behaving as if she were a man. In that culture, as in many parts of the world to this day, houses were divided into male space and female space. And male and female roles were were strictly demarcated as well. Mary had crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the house and another equally important boundary within the social world. He goes on, and what he's talking about is simply this. In that day and time, a woman... You're going to say a woman's place was in the kitchen. A woman's place was hidden. It was often in the kitchen. It was not out where the Bible study was happening. That didn't happen. Okay? Bible studies were strictly a men's thing. Even at the synagogue, the men had the main room in the synagogue and all of that kind of stuff. Okay? That was for the men. That is why in books like Ephesians and in 1 Timothy, that's why uh, Paul will sometimes give Timothy advice about, listen, the women need to hold their questions until they get home. Paul wasn't being a chauvinist. The problem was that the women at the time in that church had no experience They didn't get to go to the schools that the men got to go to. They didn't get the experience of how to study in a group of people. And so they just saw it, as anybody would naturally see it when they were in there for the first time. Well, this seems like a conversational thing. We'll just have a conversation. And so they're talking, and then different conversations start happening. It got disruptive. And so Paul is having to help Timothy to understand, listen, they're new to this. Tell them that they just need to wait, hold their questions till the end. And it's just a disruption problem, okay? He wasn't really trying to be chauvinistic, as some people try to play him out to be. So there is that. Mary had this, or Martha had this same thing in her head. And she's saying, why does Mary get to have a Bible study when that's men's stuff? She's supposed to be over here helping me make dinner. Jesus, tell her to get back in her place. That's what Martha is getting at. And I will tell you, 
that there is more opposition in the church even today toward women standing in equality that comes from other women than from men. And that's that's just a, a thing of our time. I don't I'm not going to pretend to understand it, but that's what I see all the time is that there are a lot of Marthas who still want to hold Mary back. And so she's upset. Mary is doing what was not polite in her society, and that's putting it mildly. She's doing something that was inappropriate in her society. And Jesus said it was fine. In fact, Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, she's chosen what's better. Leave her alone. What he's getting at is the same thing that he got at in John 4 when he talks to the woman at the well who said to Jesus, why are you even talking to me? And he says, if you knew who you were talking to. And he talks to her about theology. He talks to her about the answers to some of her questions. And then he talks to her about her life. Her life was why she was there alone and not with everybody else. And Jesus tells her, you're welcome at my table. And he tells Mary, you're welcome at my table. And he tells Martha, you're welcome at my table. We've talked about how Luke is constantly showing how Jesus just turns the world on its head. An upside down kingdom and says things are going to be way different in the kingdom of God. This is one of those watershed moments and we've most often overlooked it. He is welcoming her. And I think part of the reason we overlook it is we read the book backwards. We see this as, you know, Mary and Martha were really close friends of Jesus. And so why wouldn't he be at their kitchen table talking about God, right? But this was the first time he ever met them. And his first moments with Mary and Martha were, welcome to my kingdom as full members, not stuck in the kitchen, not pushed away from the study, not only the men get to talk about those topics, but welcome fully into the kingdom of God. And Paul goes on and talks about that himself in Galatians 3. Very familiar passage for most of us. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Period. You are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You can feel in Paul, can't you, where he's saying there is no wall here anymore. He uses that terminology in Ephesians too when he talks about this barrier coming down between Jew and Gentile. He says there are no more barriers. That's actually one of my favorite verses in Just As I Am. Thy love has broken every barrier down. And this is, you can feel that in what Paul is saying here. He says there's not Jew or Gentile. That was a huge, we don't get that, but that was a huge thing for him to say. To say to this church in Galatia with a mix of Jews and Gentiles who was really struggling with who is the more Christian Christian. They all knew they were Christians, but they figured some Christians had a capital C and some had a small C, right? It's like when you see on Church of Christ stationary. There's Church of Christ big C and Church of Christ small C. In my world, that's good grammar and bad grammar, okay? But there's people with theology behind that, and, the, and, and they put ideas behind it. Same thing here. And what Paul is saying is, guys, that is not even the point anymore. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Because when you believed in Christ, when you received His gift of salvation, when you were baptized with Him into, or baptized into Him, you became a child of God and nothing that would come with a comma after your name matters because you are fully a child of God. There's no, this guy is a Christian, but then there's a little asterisk. Well, Gentile Christian. 
There is no, this woman is a Christian with an asterisk. It says, mm, yeah, still a woman. None of that. None of that. Every brother, every sister, regardless of where they come from, red or yellow, black or white, north or south, east or west, American, non-American, whatever, fully, equally, children of God, period. And Jesus says to Martha, Mary gets to sit at the table with the Son of God. And she is as worthy of hearing the Word of God as anybody. She gets to come to the table. There's an old hymn called, All Things Are Ready, Come to the Feast. Come for the table now is spread. Ye famishing, ye weary one. It's just that, that everybody, everybody, whosoever heareth is the chorus, whosoever heareth, come, come. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to Martha. There is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female. You're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. No asterisks. No asterisks. Doesn't matter what your giftedness is or is not. No asterisk. You are a child of God. You'll never see Mary and Martha at the table again the same. I hope. Because this is what Jesus was teaching Martha that day. Don't settle for good. Don't just settle for the choices that the society already gave you. We're just going to do what everybody else does. You'll do some good things, but it won't bring you closer to God. It may tear you away from Him over time through drift. Don't settle for better. Balance is awesome. We should strive for it, but there's more. The best is a relationship with God. And what Jesus is getting across to Mary and Martha is, and anyone can have one. No matter where you're from, no matter what's in your past, no matter what's in your present, no matter whether you're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, whatever, all things are ready. If you feel like Martha and you know what it's like to be pushed away to the edges of the table and maybe not even at the table. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? Jesus was more impressed with her faith than anybody in Israel. Why? Because she said to him, even the dogs get the the scraps from the table as she asked for a miracle for her child. And Jesus was so impressed, He saved her child. And He told her, all things are ready. The kingdom of God is going to be hers, right? The kingdom of God can be yours. He says, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No asterisks, no male or female, no background checks. You just get to come to Jesus. Today is your day to come to Jesus. We have no guarantee of another. If you need to put Christ on in baptism or you need to rebuild your relationship with God, if you need to come to the table, we invite you to do that as we stand and as we sing.